0: So we want to take the emotion out of our decisions when we're in those pressure huddles, as as you said. So the competence comes into play, the what ifs that you have already done. And then to us, the most important part is the relationship you have built with those guys you're talking to. Because players listen better, are willing to take sometimes hard messages if the relationship is strong. Right. As a matter of fact, the general the general unwritten rule in in all of coaching is the stronger the relationship, the harder message you can send. Because the person receiving it is understanding because of the relationship that was built, they're understanding that you're doing it for them. You're not doing it to them.
1: Hey guys, so on today's show, I'm really privileged and honored to bring to you, live from Richmond, Virginia, Kevin Eastman. Kevin Eastman is a NBA world champion coach. Uh, He won the NBA championship in 2008 and uh, with the Boston Celtics, he was the vice president of the LA Clippers. And he has worked with the likes of LeBron LeBron James uh, and many, many other famous nba high performance athletes so today we're going to dive into the question why the best are the best um his book is entitled why the best are the best and it's 25 powerful words that it that will impact inspire and define champions um we don't actually go too deep into the book we actually wind up speaking a lot about leadership how to get the best out of uh high performance athletes or just out of yourself in life um we talk about how uh, we all want to become better And we talk about the tools that you can use in your own life right now today in order to become the best person that you can possibly be. Uh, There's just so many great nuggets in this particular show, guys, so I'm going to kind of end the intro here. But uh, please do stick around to the end where we talk about legacy and what it takes to truly build a legacy that stands the test of time. So without further ado, enter Kevin Eastman. And we're live. Hey guys, welcome back to yet another cracking edition of the Matt Brown Show. Today, I'm very, very privileged to have an NBA winning coach um, with me on the line from the US. Uh, his name is Kevin Eastman. Kevin, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Matt. Looking forward to it. And uh, before we start, let me just say uh, I appreciate all you're doing to be able to get different types of words, philosophies, uh, strategies out to, the, to, to your listeners. Um, because I think all of us are on a, uh, I call it a seek and find mission. You know, we're trying to seek and find new ways to do things, new ways to say things, things that we can insert into our lives. And, um, it's forums like these that allow, uh, not just me as a sharer today, but, uh, even when I listen to podcasts, uh, to pick up things as well. So thanks for doing what you do.
1: Well, the privilege is really all mine. And uh, yeah, no thanks required. I know how busy you are being, uh, doing all the talks that you're doing, obviously. And um, um, yeah, I, I, I really share that sentiment completely with you. I think we all want to aspire to be better than we, who we were the day before. I think the journey is all about who we're becoming. I think there's a tension between who we are and who we're becoming. Um, and I believe that that's where meaning can be found more often than not. Um, and I think there's so much for us to to talk about here Um, you're obviously in the business of getting people to reach their potential Um, obviously these are nba professional basketball players um, and you've reached the pinnacle of that sport Um, so there's so much that i want to get into with you but um, but why don't you um, put your story on a billboard for our listeners and viewers out there Um, where does where did your journey begin Um, and um, if you can just contextualize where we're going to go from here
0: Okay, so if I can do a uh, speed version of of my life on this earth, Uh, uh, grew up in New Jersey, uh, um, had a a normal upbringing, uh, for some reason fell in love with sports. And in particular, for me, um, it was an early love. And I've been able to carry that love with me uh, my entire life. Had a little bit of a rough uh, rough childhood from the standpoint that, um, and I don't mind, I, I sometimes share this with, with, with the audiences I speak to because it teaches a lesson. And uh, my mom committed suicide when I was very young. Uh, I was uh, uh, right around five years old. So I don't really remember anything about being with her, even though I'm supposed to. I guess I have blocked that out is what they tell me. So um, uh, but the reason I say that uh, to explain where I've come uh, in my life is uh, there are certain things that we regret in life. And I think uh, for the listeners, uh, it's important to take care of those regrets when you can. Like I I have a, I guess regret is the word that I wasn't, I can't remember uh, what my mom and I did when I was young. I can't remember, uh, uh, you know, mussing up her hair and then running behind the sofa and hiding to see if she could find me. I don't remember those things. Uh, I I really can't remember the things that maybe she had said and taught me. So uh, the lesson here is um, no matter how small the regret, you know, when we get to the end of our lives, I think we're going to be thinking about some happy times for sure, but we're also going to be thinking of those I wish I had's that we have in life. So take uh, to the listeners, take care of the regrets now. So as I went forward, uh, my, my high school career in basketball was a, a was a good one, a successful one. Uh, that's when I first got a taste of what it took to win at the highest level, because in the States, the best you can do as a high school team is to win a state championship. And we were able to do that with our basketball team. And then I went on to college at the University of Richmond in Virginia. And that's where we currently, my wife and I, uh, my wife, Wendy, and I, that's where we live full time now. Um, And then from there, I got into coaching and the coaching journey started in college for 22 years, 11 years as an assistant, um, 11 years as a head coach, And then I got a a fortunate opportunity to um, work in the NBA, which is obviously our professional basketball league over here. And then with even greater fortune, I had the opportunity to be coaching uh, with the Boston Celtics and Doc Rivers. And uh, in 2008, we were able to win the NBA World Championship. So I got a feel feel and and a lot of experiences and learned a lot as to uh, why are the best the best. Uh, why do they get there and some others don't? Uh, why did we win the championship that year? Uh, beyond talent, because when, you, when the best get to, to compete against the best, both teams have talent. So what are the separators uh, versus the givens? Um, and then uh, from a personal standpoint, my wife and I, Wendy, as I mentioned, we live here in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, I'm speaking full-time now all over the world, actually, to sports teams and corporate teams. And uh, we have a son who uh, loved basketball as well, played basketball, high school, college, was not good enough to play in the pros, but he's now working for the Boston Celtics, mm. uh, truly on his own. He got that on his own. Um, so uh, he's not coaching. So that may, may, maybe is a smart thing. Uh, he's in the front office. So he's the one that goes out and scouts uh, and looks at all the college players and the international players uh, and decides you know, who they're going to draft and who they're going to trade for uh, to continue to improve their team. So in a nutshell, uh, that's me.
1: Great. That's a fantastic summation. Um, lots to also dive into there. Um, I was once told in this podcast that um, one of the interesting uh, expressions in the context of success and human potential um, is that success can only be expressed to the degree within which you fulfilled your potential. Um, and it's a, it's an interesting one. If you, if you think about that statement, um, and you then recognize for a moment where you are in your own journey, um, like in my world, I would say like, and probably most people would say that they're nowhere near where they think they should be. Um, and, um, and even when you reach the pinnacle of success, even then what we find, what I've learned on the show is that often motivation tends to dwindle after the fact uh, because you feel like you've reached your potential, you've reached the pinnacle, um, and it takes a bit of soul-searching to kind of reignite that flame to go after the second one, the third one, et cetera, Kobe Bryant. Um, and so I wanted to get your views on what does success mean in the professional NBA sports league? Is it what you do every day or is it, the attainment of the NBA World Championship uh, ring, essentially. Uh, in, your own, in, in your own words, in your own experience, what does it mean to be uh, successful and how does one practically apply the principles of, of success as you understand them?
0: Stay with us.
1: We'll be right back.
0: Well, the easy answer is all of what you just said. So listeners, do that, right?
2: <laughs> uh, so,
0: there's, there's so much to unpack there. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the, the term or the concept every day. And that word every is crucial to success. Uh, every second of every minute of, of every opportunity of everywhere you are with everyone you come in contact with every single day every single uh, week, every single month, every single year. Uh, what are you trying to do with each of those every's? So for me, uh, one of the fun parts of my life is uh, I have a curiosity gene. So I'm always curious as to uh, why are some people, like I said, why are some people successful and some not quite as successful? Uh, what can I learn today? Uh, and today is a an ingredient of every, right? So every day. So there's so many things, but I I have what I call the three gaps. And the three gaps to become the best we can become are, number one, your knowledge gap. All of us probably have uh, X amount of knowledge, but to get to where we maybe have always dreamed of going, where we'd like to go, where we've set our goals as an adult, or even those little dreams we had as a kid, we have to get this much knowledge. So there's a gap there, as you can see, if you can see on the screen. i got to fill that gap every day. Some ways I fill it is to listen to podcasts. Some ways is what I do every single day. I read two hours every single day, every single day, every, every. Not one day off, every single day. And many days I read for for more than that. Um, And people always ask me, what do you read? And they think, well, what book are you reading? It's not just books that you can learn from. You can learn from articles because many times articles are real time. They're happening now. The articles, the books have already probably happened, right? So um, it's the it's the knowledge gap. The second second gap is the capability gap. We've all gotten to this point in our careers, but what are we capable of doing, right? And filling that gap. And we can also fill that gap by by uh, continuing to be curious, continuing to learn, continuing to put ourselves out there and maybe try something that we weren't real sure we should even try uh the common word in all the books obviously is risk so whatever that word is for you fill your capability gap and then in order to do number one and number two you have to fill the third gap and that's the action gap the things we know we should do that we're not doing Mm. right and one of the big uh it's not i have 25 power words in my book the 25 most common words that that The best of the best ingrained in their lives, but and one of the words that is not part of the twenty-five was one of the words that I think was key to my journey, and I didn't include that uh, in the twenty-five because I wanted to get the other people's twenty-five words. Anyway, the word for me was try, Hmm. just try, yeah, just try, and uh, if you fail, join the club because Matt, you failed, I have failed. Uh, You probably have some great stories that you can even tell your listeners as to what you overcame. But if failure leads to finality, you can't get to where you want to go. I often say this about failure, and then I'm going to stop talking. Uh, But, you know, how do we treat failure? Because failure happens in our lives and mistakes happen in our lives. Well, with mistakes, my philosophy and what we always told our teams was this. Just make new ones. That's all. Just make new ones. If you make the same ones over again, maybe as an athlete, we have to trade you to another team, or we have to cut you and let you go. Uh, if you make the same ones as an individual and employee in the in the workforce, you're probably going to stay right where you are, or maybe in a lesser position. Uh, so, so, so mistakes are mistakes. So failure. How do you treat it? Because your reaction to that is important. And and I always ask people to think of a couple of things. Number one. Does it stop you or start you? Well, to get to where you want to go, it has to start you, like rev you up. I'm not going to let that happen again. Like I don't really use the word failure. I use the word challenge because I'm a little bit competitive. Mm. So when I don't do something well, it's a challenge to see if I can do it better and never let it happen again. Right. So does it start you or stop you? How do you treat it? You treat, And a lot of people treat it as devastation. But to become better and become our best, you can't treat it as devastation. You have to treat it as education. So, how do you treat it as devastation or education? And then the third thing is, and we got it from American football coach, you know, that kind of oddball that they kick and throw and all that sort of thing. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And, um, uh, there's a great coach over here. His name is Nick Sabin at the University of Alabama. And we kind of borrowed this from Nick. And uh, he always says to his team and his players, and he's one of the best coaches in the country and uh, has greatly, incredibly successful teams. And he always tells his guys, never waste a failure. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Never waste a failure. Right. Because successful people use them. Um, Average and unsuccessful people have them. It stops them from even doing anything else. So so how are you going to how are you going to treat failure? Uh, And I know a lot of people, I don't know, they. I guess they fear the consequence of failure, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I always ask them this, if you fear the consequence of failure, can you please put equal fear to the consequence of never trying? What happens if you tried and it worked Mm -hmm. like that was me? I was scared to death to get, get into the NBA, scared to death. Because everyone wants to coach like a kid by the name or a kid, a man by the name of Kevin Garnett, who's going to be a hall of fame player, Ray Allen, who's in the hall of fame. Everyone wants to coach them. But what people don't know is they put hall of fame demands on your knowledge, your preparation, uh, your teaching ability, your communication ability. So if you don't have hall of fame knowledge, you're not going to survive in that level. So, uh, so, but I wanted to try, right? So, um, that was a long answer to a short question.
1: Well, it's, uh, there's so much here that, um, that I want to get into, um, le- least of all, because I've covered some of the stuff in, uh, in my own book, but I'd like, I'm always fascinated to get someone else's view to kind of counterbalance my own. I mean, I think failure is, a is, is, is something that we all have to deal with. I mean, one of the great, um, lessons I learned on the show was, you know, if a business fails, it's the business that failed. It's not you. Um, and in the, and in the context of COVID-19, there are literally tens of thousands of small businesses in South Africa alone, you know, in retail and travel and hospitality and um, eventing that have literally had their, their roadway, their roadmap and their runways taken from them overnight, like frighteningly quickly. Um, and uh, if they weren't hungry to, to pivot and adapt their businesses to the new paradigm of COVID, then, you know, um, ultimately that sits with them. And that's okay, you know, because you—it's just the business that failed. There was nothing that you personally could have done about COVID nineteen, outside of pivoting your business and and literally, some people just don't have the cash flow and the, and the the wherewithal to do that. And to your point, the capabilities to do that, right? The capability gap, um, and they might not have the knowledge gap either, right? So, so if they don't have those things, to your point, it's very hard for them to make their business relevant now in a COVID nineteen world. Um, and, you know, as you said, I founded 10 companies and, uh, six of those failed. I sold three. Um, mm. and this one, this one I'll probably sell as well. But, um, but, um, but, you know, I, I, look at when I was young, I took failure incredibly personally. I always thought it was me, you know, and, um, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have Kevin Eastman, uh, to come, uh, you know, break me out of my, my paradigm, my, my my um, situation of being stuck inside the bottle and not being able to read the label. Um, and so for many, many years, it took me, uh, it was always personal failure. And actually now I look back at failure and I actually look forward to failing because I know that if I fail today, then I've had a good day. If I don't fail today, then I've had a bad day. Um, because that's how I know I'm becoming better. That's how I know I'm getting, I'm closing that knowledge gap. I'm closing that capability gap because of failure Um, where, where things fall over for me is this idea of regret. And, and, and I don't think to your point, we spend enough time thinking about regret. We only think about it at the end. Whereas what we should be doing is projecting the end uh, in our lives today and saying, well, if today was the last day, you know, who would I have wished I, I would have become? Who would I, what would, what do I wish people would have, would say about me if, you know, today was uh, my last day. Um, and would I have expressed success, quote unquote, to the full extent of my available potential? And then deciding what action you should take. Because we're, we're so caught up in the now, Kevin, I, I don't know if you agree with me, but I think we're so caught up in the situation, we, we, we don't look up. Do you know what I mean? Like we're, we're just taking grenades all the time in the trenches, to use a, a military um, analogy. And so we don't look up to see where we actually need to go. Um, So I kind of wanted to, 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 to use that, uh, those two points to kind of move on to the next um, uh, question here, which is around um, competitive drive. So it's, you're, you're either going to wilt under the pressure of being an NBA professional basketball player, the expectation of the Boston Celtics fans, the expectation of your, of your peer group, your, and, and, and and the communities that, um, that are looking to you to win. How do you unlock the competitive drive in a professional NBA player?
0: Well, to get to that level, actually, you have to, that's a given. You have to have that competitive drive. Uh, The biggest thing that we try to uh, work with the professional athlete on is, is what we talked about. How do they deal with failure? Because the one thing you find out about pro sports, And if you get to the highest level of anything, it's a very competitive level. And where there is competition, you will be humbled, right? Because as I always say, uh, guess what? The Lakers practice too, right? So here we are doing all of our stuff that we want to do to become the best we can become. And then we go out on the floor and we face the Lakers. Well, guess what? They practice too. So they may beat you that night. They may be better than you that night. What you're trying to do on offense, they may be far superior with what they're doing on defense, right? So so you have to be able to deal with this failure and mistakes more so for us at that level because it's the best of the best than the competitive drive. But I think when you talk about the word drive, I I believe there's a word that precedes drive because I don't think you can have drive unless you have a passion for something, something you just love to do. It's it's truly uh, the first thing that you think About when you do wake up. And like, I always get upset when I have to go to sleep because I I can't think and and try and get a little bit better in sleep uh, because I don't know what's going on. Right. So I can't wait to wake up uh, each morning. Um, And if that's a drive, then then I have drive. Uh, Probably the biggest drive I have, and what I found with successful people, is they have a curiosity drive Mm. and they have a personal challenge drive to become a little bit better. And I would say this also to your, to the people listening, you know, when you're around the best of the best, very seldom do they even use the word best unless it's in a team um, perspective. We want to be the best team, like all the great players uh, that I've either worked with their coach and, and maybe some of the names that your people would, would know the, 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 the uh, Kobe Bryant's, uh, bless his soul, the, the James Harden's, the Kawhi Leonard's, the Kevin Durant's, uh, the Steph Curry's. Right. Um, they, they don't really talk about best what they do talk about. And I think it's their allows them to have a daily drive rather than just this big conceptual word of drive. Mm. Right. They just want to become better. I remember uh, when LeBron was coming out of high school. Uh, LeBron James, and um, Nike flew him in and and some of the people around him to pitch him on being a Nike athlete, wearing the Nike brand, wearing the Nike shoe. Well, Nike always tries to uh, look at the total person when they bring someone in and and they become an endorser, right? So uh, what part of the whole concept when they brought LeBron is they wanted him to actually have a physical workout each day because he was going to be in meetings all day long about the brand and how the brand can help him with where he wants to go. So they, they called me and asked me, because at the time I was, you know, this doesn't sound good because it sounds uh, self-promoting, but they, they said, look, you're, you're, you're either the best or one of the best in the world at working with players. So come on in and, and work LeBron out for 45 minutes. We want to give him a 45 minute break. Well, LeBron and I ended up going 90 minutes And I pushed him hard. And there were times I might have, you know, I might have said a word that you don't say in church, right, as we were working out to try and push him. Um, Because the best want to be pushed. But some people are afraid to push the best. Mm. Right. They're afraid to push him. So at the end of it, we were walking off the floor. And I said, hey, Bron, look, I got to tell you, I didn't mean to be that hard on you. And he said, coach, stop. Stop. Look, you weren't. I didn't take it as hard. I just want to learn everything I possibly can learn to become better at my craft. Now, some people will hear that story and they'll say, okay, big deal. So you got to work with LeBron. That must've been neat. No, 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 no. The lesson was in what he said. Cause when I, back that night, I started to think about what he said and what he said, he gave me a new definition of becoming our best. So if best is the end goal, then there's an equal sign. The formula is better plus better plus better. Plus, and however many betters you need to become your best, that's what you strive for. That's what you drive for each and every day. So those are things that pop out real quick, I guess, with with regard to, to your question about this concept of drive.
1: Yeah. Um, just a couple more questions, if you don't mind, on uh, motivation. I find that, um, it, well, one, I think you mentioned the, thing, the idea of passion. I think, a lot of people are either they feel like they don't have a passion or if they have a passion, they don't feel like they can monetize it or they can't make it something that um, you know, like just take it in. Like if you, if you're passionate about basketball and you're like seven foot tall and you have bucket loads of talent, a la LeBron James, then you have the confidence in order to execute and become better every day in order to become the best, right? To your point. But many people be listening to this show um, probably don't have what they feel is something that they're, you know, passionate about enough to do something with, or they may feel like they've got more than one passion. So they're like, you know, I've got music, I've got podcasting, I've got entrepreneurship, writing books. I've got, I've got lots of passions. How do I choose what? uh, So I kind of want to start there and then I want to get into more on the motivation stuff, but you know, how does one, how does one recognize a passion that they should pursue fully? I mean, is it a, Is it something you feel in your body? Is it something that people tell you to pursue? How do you recognize a passion point that you feel is truly going to be a North Star for you?
0: Well, I'll take it. uh, One of the people that I try and learn from, now I'll never get to meet this person, I don't think, Uh, but one one of the people that I've tried to learn from, from afar, is Oprah Winfrey. And on her last show, Uh, before she went off air with her Oprah Winfrey show, uh, she said something that hit me really, really hard about this, what do I pursue, right? And what she said was the following, take action on the things that whisper to you, right? So one of the things that was kind of whispering to me for the last three years I was in the NBA was to to take the speaking I was doing a little bit in the off season, because in the NBA as a coach, you have no really downtime. But uh, I used uh, uh, four days of my, quote, downtime, which Doc Rivers never gave downtime, but I used four days and I tried to do two speaking engagements to corporations uh, in the off season. And I found out I really felt great coming off of that stage because I could tell that I was able to maybe provide some things that, that they can insert into their lives right away. So, so uh, I felt good. And then over the last uh, probably year and a half, not really three years, but year and a half, I used to wake up figuring out, OK, when we're running this offensive play, how can we teach it better? That's what I would wake up. Mm. How can I help Doc Rivers reach this player a little bit better? How can we defend the pick and roll action a little bit better? Well, the last year and a half, I would wake up saying, boy, I watched 60 Minutes last night. And what someone said on that, I could probably use that in a talk. You see, my my whispers change. And I think, you know, we all read and react and 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 feel what we do personally. And what I felt Oprah was saying, at least to me, what I heard was: look, it's not gonna shout. It's not gonna like, hey Matt, you gotta do this. It's gonna whisper to you, right? Because it's it's up to you to pull it from the whisper to the front of your mind, and you say, well, well, someone may love basketball, but they don't have the talent of a LeBron James or a Steph Curry. Well, a couple things. First off, guess what? LeBron and Steph don't have some of the talents that you have, right? So it, it, you, there, there's a lot of sameness in this deal about ch- chasing our passions. And if you still love basketball, you know, there's more parts of basketball than just playing. My son loves basketball, and his game is not good enough to be a player in the NBA, but he's in the NBA, and not because of me, really. Truth be told, it's because of my wife, because she kept bugging me to ask when Jake was in college to ask the Celtics, do they have an internship program? And Wendy kept bugging me. Would you ask the Celtics if they have an internship program, and so your son can maybe do something in the summer? So eventually I did, and they said, sure, we'd love to have Jake. We love Jake because he was around during the year, right, Uh, when his school year got over. Well, that propelled him into a full-time job with the Celtics. So Wendy and Jake actually got Jake uh, that job. This guy, Kevin, you're talking to, he didn't do squat, right? So he probably actually hurt Jake because they were probably thinking, oh, no, if we get another Kevin Eastman, God, this this (laughs) program's going to go downhill. So, um, So your passions maybe are whispering to you. And if you have multiple passions, just listen a little bit to what might maybe which one comes out. And there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with maintaining a job that maybe others may think even that that's a job they wouldn't want, right? But doing that job well, because no one wants to go home, I don't think, and tell their family, you know what? Excuse my words here. But you know what? I sucked today. I was the worst in the world at my job. I don't think anyone wants that. Right so every so just maybe the challenge at work is just live up to a standard that you set for yourself. Try to do that every day, and then when you get home, have fun with your passions, and maybe uh, on the weekend, you can do actually do something with your passion. You know, every passion doesn't have to be monetized for it to still maintain a passionate part of your heart. Mm. right? I was just lucky, and you're lucky that 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 we're able to monetize our passions. Um, but I wasn't monetizing my passion when I was an NBA coach, this passion of speaking. I kind of did it just to see if, well, first of all, if I liked it, and second of all, did speaking like me. It could have been I sucked on stage and you would never be hired again, right? So you find things out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I suppose what I, anything I would want to add to that is um, if you don't know, just try it or take an action. Uh, and oh, yeah. and see how it feels because feedback is the best um, uh, type of intuition guidance mechanism you'll ever have in your life you know i think a lot of people spend so much time thinking but not enough time doing um so yeah. it's like well if you would music okay well let's try let's let's do an action around monetizing music or podcasting or writing a book or whatever the case is, but do it and see how you feel. Cause a lot, you know, you know, as well as I do, writing a book is not an easy thing to do. Um, it's a tough thing. It has to come from you. It can't be about something outside of you. And so if it comes from you, it's a much easier thing to write. Um, and, um, and I'm kind of digressing here, but I want to kind of, drive sort of steer back to leadership characteristics i've got this uh, this vision in my mind where you know you obviously from the nba and you have the huddle right where you're on the side of the court and everyone's kind of hanging around there and you're kind of giving them the next play and you're motivating them and it's like you know you've got uh, 30 seconds to nail a three-pointer to win the game Um, and it's high pressure there's expectation around the guys are, are, are tired they're they're, um, you know, they're, they're, they're hungry to win um, and you, and they're looking to you to say the right thing as the coach. Um, and I want to kind of, with that context painted, I want to kind of get your view. How do you handle that? Like, how do you get the most out of your players in high pressure situations? And there's so there's so many links uh, to that question back to my business, especially now where we're, we're, we're all working from home, there's 30 of us and, you know, it's high pressure. We're getting busier and busier for some reason. Uh, so we're quite lucky. But, um, but for me as, as the CEO, it's, I, to your earlier points around LeBron James, like how hard do you push people? You know, what, how, what words do you use? Um, how do you get the best out of, uh, out of your, your players in your case and, and as a CEO or a business leader out of your team? Um, and so, um, yeah, I'm going to park it there. What have you learned in that space? How do we become the best leaders possible? Mm-hmm. That's,
0: that's a really, really good question. That has a lot of parts to it. The first thing I would say is it's all, well, I guess the first thing I would say is uh, what maybe your listeners have heard before. It's how you look at pressure. Pressure to us is a privilege because you're in a position now where um, uh, you that situation needs your best. That's a fun thing to be into. Mm. Like Like, we don't particularly like people to boo us. When we're coaching, and in Boston they're rabid fans, but the way we look at the booing is, well, they care. They care. Booing's actually a good thing to hear because it's a reminder that hey, we expect more from Boston Celtics teams, uh, New England Patriots teams. So that's a neat challenge to wake up every day. So, so to us, uh, preparation trumps pressure, right? Preparation trumps pressure because preparation gives you confidence, right? It, it trumps pressure when you're in those situations. So what is preparation? Preparation is, in my definition, is to be there before you get there. That's preparation. So we've already been in those huddles with uh, 30 seconds left, and we only have maybe 30 seconds to speak to our, to our team, right? So then it comes down to competence. Have we? Do we have the knowledge, the requisite knowledge to handle that situation of pressure? And have we already done our what if checks? Like in the off season, when we're done playing, we look at our team and we look at our situation, every situation that could happen in the game, down three, sideline out of bounds, our ball, what do we do? Uh, down two, baseline out of bounds, what do we do? Uh, our best players just found out, what do we do? They're all the what ifs. We go through all of them in the off season, because when you wait for the emotional time of the game, you generally make an emotional and not as good decision. So we want to take the emotion out of our decisions when we're in those pressure huddles, as, as you said. So the competence comes into play, the what ifs that you have already done. And then to us, the most important part is the relationship you have built with those guys you're talking to because players listen better are willing to take sometimes hard messages if the relationship is strong, right? As a matter of fact, the general, the general unwritten rule in, in, in all of coaching is the stronger the relationship, the harder message you can send because the person receiving it is understanding because of the relationship that was built, they're understanding that you're doing it for them. You're not doing it to them. And then the last thing I would say that helps us in those situations is contrary to maybe all the books that are out there, um, because just because something is written doesn't mean that you have to put it into your life, right? So I often get asked when I speak, uh, well, Kevin, we have this employee and they're really productive, but we don't know what makes them tick. Like, what makes them tick? Well, quite honestly, The best coaches in the world, they don't care what makes one of their players tick. Not one iota. That is not important. As a matter of fact, that's third on the list. How they tick is third on the list. So if that's third, what's one and two? Well, we don't care what makes them tick. We care a heck of a lot about what makes them talk. Because if we can get them to talk, we'll actually find out what makes them tick, even more so than if we just try and observe it. So we got to get them to talk to us. And then we don't care what makes them tick. We care a lot about what makes them listen.
2: Hmm.
0: Why? Because if we can get them to listen, we may be able to change the way they tick. So how do you get them to talk and how do you get them to listen? The relationships that you build before you're in the fray, before you're in the heat, before you're in that 30 second huddle that you asked me about. And how do you do that? You just do it over time. There's no relationship pill. Relationships cannot be sped up or rushed. Like Dr. Fauci over here, who's uh, you know one of the main voices with this coronavirus, he said the virus will tell us our timeline. Right. As soon as we get to the level of trust, that's our timeline. Mm-hmm. So when we meet trust, that's when we can have those huddles. Now, the last thing about that, when you're in the huddle in a pressure situation, it's all about clarity. It's all about clarity. Be clear, be concise, and then probably repeat because it is an emotional standpoint. Okay, here's what we're gonna do, Matt A, B, C, and D. We're gonna run thumb up, two down. And if we score, we're gonna get back into man to man. If we miss, we're gonna foul them right away. Okay, Matt, do you have that? John, do you have that? Kevin, do you have that? Right? We're going to run thumb out, two down. And then we're going to foul if we miss, we're going to play man if we make. So we've, we just kind of only said one or two things, but we repeated it three times and we've looked into the eyes of our guys because we know when guys have gotten it because of the relationships we built and the amount of time we spent with them. So that's how we handle that.
1: Sure. That's crazy. Um, I, I often, as a leader, the hardest thing for me to, to wrestle with is, the uh, conversations i've had uh, under pressure situations um i don't know if you're obviously i'm sure you know but sir alex ferguson the former manchester yeah. united coach so he was famous for giving uh, the hairdryer treatment to his to his players at halftime um and then um equally uh um what's his name i can't believe i've gone blank the current tottenham hot spurs the special one Mourinho. Jeez, uh, I, I almost forgot his name, <laughs> but yeah, uh, but, uh, but he was famous for really knowing his players personally, like, um, you know, the daughter's names and what's going on with the daughters at school, how things with the wife, you know, it's the, cause, you know, if you have a, if you have a functional personal, uh, sort of environment it often then gives you the freedom that you need to, to perform, uh, where you need to. Um, it's like because because you, you've completely focused on the goal at hand you don't you're not distracted you you're really clear as you said clearly focused around uh, what you need to do and how you need to do it um and uh, but one of the things to your point around the relationship is that, um, for me as a leader, I, I really struggle with knowing how far to push people because I give my version of the hairdryer treatment. Because you know, for for me, it's it's always do or die. There is no try. It's like you must do what we what we need to do, and we must deliver. We deliver every single time. To your point, it's it's like how you get better and better and better and better. You know, there's some failure obviously in that process, but it's, the idea is that you win nine times out of ten. And if you do that, you will you'll become the best business and team that you can be. Um, but as a leader, I wrestle, and when I get home at night, I'm like, damn, should I have said that, that word? Because I like drop F-bombs, and it's, and, I, and I go to great lengths to tell my team that it, it's not personal. Like when I take you out, it's not personal, it's, it's business. And you need to recognize where, or should I say the consequences of not doing what you're supposed to doing, because it affects not only you, but then the team that works with you, and then ultimately the business's bottom line. Um, so, so for me, I really wrestle with that and, and I try and nurture the relationship as much as possible. And that's kind of where the question is going to come from now, which is what have you learned? What was your personal leadership style when it came to like coaching, you know, um, these, these famous basketball players, like, did you really take an interest in their personal life? Did you not care? Was it just about, well, when you here, you know, um, you're here to play for me and this team and that's it. And so in other words, how did what standards did you set within the team environment, and um, and could you walk us through what kind of standards should we be applying in our own lives in the context of leaders of teams?
0: Well, to, to answer your your first question, yeah, because uh, relationships are important, and relationships uh, we feel have to go beyond the craft, have to go beyond the sport, have to go beyond the job, because. To us, the key was, how do we get mind space? M-I-N-D. How do we get a piece of their mind? Because you think about the world today, not just because of the COVID uh, situation, but in general, there's so much clutter. There are so many demands on us at, at work, at home, from our coworkers, from our children, right? There's so many demands. There's so much coming into our head. So how do we get a piece of their mind? We call that mind space. How do we get mind space? And we firmly believe that in order to get a piece of their mind, you have to go through their heart. So we need to get heart space. What is heart space about? Heart space is about that relationship you have built with that player or that employee. Now, you might say as a CEO, well, I have uh, 60 employees. I can't do that with everybody. Well, it goes, you having a great relationship with your leadership team or managers, and then they have to do it with their 10 or 15 people that are under them because you can do that with 30 people. You can't, you can probably do that with 40 people. Even if at the beginning you had to have a chart and right before you walk into their office, you look and say, okay, I'm talking to Tanisha today and her son's name and he plays soccer. Okay. Got it. Right. Because as you talk more with them, the more that's it's just going to be natural and you're going to remember names and da, da, da. Uh, so it's not as if it's easy that you have uh, 40 or say 30 direct reports and combined, they have 73 children and it's overwhelming so we never even start mm. don't be afraid right so uh that would be number one getting uh, going through their heart to get to their head right now it depends on like to me the we've talked about the 25 words right Well, the single most important word in all of success that I was able to find out, and I've actually believed this myself, but so it confirmed when I've been around and talked to, and I didn't just talk to the great athletes. I did the great coaches, successful coaches, successful CEOs, successful VPs that I knew, right? And the single most important word I believe in all success is the word truth, Mm -hmm. truth, because how can we get to where we wanna go as an individual or a company if we don't really know the truth? Now, what you're telling them is the truth, right? And the truth needs three things. You need to be able to live it, you need to be able to tell it, and you need to be able to take it. And if you can't do those three things, I don't think a company can be as good as it hopes to be. I don't think a coach can be, I don't think a leader can be, I don't think a player can be, I don't think an individual uh, employee in the company can be as good as they can be. So you gotta be able to live it. What's that mean in a leadership component? Do your actions match your words? Very simple. Because those you lead, they'll respect you because they've been raised well. They'll respect the position, I should say. But that doesn't mean they're gonna follow you, right? Actually, their eyes and ears are gonna tell them whether they will follow you. Their eyes and ears. Okay, I heard Matt say this, but I see him do the complete opposite. Mm. I'm, and now I'm supposed to trust him. Right. But here's the flip side of that. What they don't know is you're probably F bombing yourself at night. Right. Why the F did I do that? Why did F did I make that decision? And and sometimes we'll let our guys know. Right. We'll let them know. Hey, look, I was hard on myself last night. And here's why, guys, because the play I called to win the game. Bad play. Bad call. Mm-hmm. Doc would say this. Doc Rivers, our head coach. Uh, just a bit. I, I I lost that game guys. You didn't, I lost that game. I effed up last night, not you. Right. And all I ask of you guys is if you think you effed up in a certain part of the game, think about it and think what you're going to do differently next. I'm not going to call guys out because you know what? In the last play I did it. So I'm sorry. All right. You guys ready to practice? Let's go. Right. So that's that you got to be able to, uh, live it. you got to be able to tell it. How do you tell it? And that's what we're getting at here. Mm different ways to different people. Well, how do I know the different ways, Kevin? The relationships you've built. You've gotten to know what makes them tick because you know what makes them talk and listen, right? So you've gotten deeper into their, who they are. It's not how well they play. It's also about who they are, right? Because when you start talking about their kids and their wives, what part of the body have you gotten into? Their heart, their heart. Right, so, um, so you got to be able to live it. You got to be able to tell it. Different ways. We could probably cuss one of our players out from here to next Friday, and you know what that player would do? He'd go, "Oh yeah, coach, I got you," and he'd walk away. As a matter of fact, you would probably be more pissed off for him not being pissed off about what you were pissed off about him for. Right. Because he just got the guy the guy's coach. Good, 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 good suggestion there. Boom. Walks off. You say that to one of our seven footers that we had, he becomes five, five. So you have to deliver the truth to him differently. Mm. Like with this one I'm talking about, it's through humor.
2: Mm.
0: Right. I might say to him, uh, uh, man, that article that was written about you, you read it, too. I know you read it, John. I know you read it. And if you didn't read it, this is what they say. You sucked last night. And, uh, and I know that probably offended you, but actually the, the guy was wrong. John, the guy was wrong. Yeah, I think he was wrong too, coach. Yeah, but I think we, because of different reasons. I thought you sucked 10 times as bad as he said you did. And I would just walk away. Hmm. Inevitably, if you have the relationship, they're going to follow you. Hmm. What do you mean? And as soon as they asked, what do you mean? What did they do? They've unlocked their door and said, come on in. Tell me. That's why with a lot of players, I would actually find out who do they respect in this world that is of celebrity status that other people would know. And there's a reason I would ask it that way. Well, let's say one of the players would say uh, Tom Brady, who's the really good football player yeah, over here. Yeah, yeah. right? So I would find articles on Tom Brady with that player who said Tom Brady, and I would copy them. And if this player wanted to become a leader, anything that Tom said leadership-wide, I'd copy it, I'd highlight the parts, I'd put it in his locker, or if we were on the road, I'd put it under his hotel room door. Inevitably, they're going to come to you and say, hey, why'd you send, why'd you give me that article? Ah, great. He just opened his front door and said, come on into my house. Hmm. He He's asking me to come into his house, which is his heart, right? Then we get into the discussion of why, and we can maybe help that guy, right? So. And then you got to be able to take it. You have to be able to take the truth. And uh, our parents lied to us. Uh, They did. They told us that the truth hurts. Mm -mm. The truth embarrasses. The truth stings. It doesn't hurt. Because successful people will tell you the complete opposite. The truth helps. Mm. And we've been told by our parents, the truth will set you free, Kevin. Matt, the truth will set you free. Well, maybe it will. But I know this for sure. It may set you free, but I know for darn sure, the truth will set you up. It'll set you up for your growth. It'll set you up for your development. It'll set you up for your improvement. So we've got to be able to hear it. Now, the last thing I'll say, and this is a long answer, how do you send those hard messages? When I was the vice president of the Los Angeles Clippers, uh, I had to have those hard conversations. uh, And sometimes it was to let a person go. Those to me are the hardest ones when you have to say, hey, look, we gave you a shot. You, you, I got to let you go. Mm. So what I did is uh, when I first took that position, because the the, the person above me said, hey, you got to get rid of this person. I thought, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do I don't wake up wanting to fire people. So really, I had to do his job, right? I had to do the guy above these jobs. So I guess that's why you get those top jobs. Right? <laughs> so, so Kevin, you got to do that, man. So I said, I went home and I said, well, let me give me two days because I want these things to simmer down first. I didn't want them to simmer down. I wasn't even thinking about that. I wanted to figure out how am I going to do this? And I felt I needed 48 hours to think about. it. So I came up with my own guidelines when I'm having these. I call them courageous conversations because it takes courage to fire somebody, I think, unless you're a complete a-hole, right? Unless a jerk, right? So here's what I came up with that guided me. Number one, I wanted to be direct. Didn't want to beat around the bush. Number two, I wanted to deliver, I, I wanted to, to, to make sure my message had truth and facts, not just opinion behind it. Number three, I wanted to deliver the message with respect and empathy. And this is where I get questions oftentimes from audiences. Why would you be empathetic? I said, I said uh, that, look, if it's empathy, not sympathy. Empathy, not sympathy. Hey, you got yourself in this situation. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to sympathize with you. You got yourself in this, but I will have empathy. I will walk in your shoes. And this is where it leads to the last one. And a lot of people will say, I ain't doing that. And that's fine. And the fourth one is I let them vent. And I heard some, some stuff. Mm -hmm. I heard the MFs, and like, I don't mean like my friend, Right. I, I heard some stuff coming at me. But here's why I did that part. Because I walked in their shoes. I actually saw them coming into my office, not knowing what they were coming in for. They sat down and we had this hard conversation. I actually saw them in my mind, walking out of my office, going to their office, getting their stuff, and then getting in their car. And I saw them going home. Well, who was at home? Their wife, their children, their neighborhood friends. So. I thought as a leader, part of our job is to put our pe- people into the best position possible to, to be successful at that time. Well, I would rather that person take 80% of their venom out on me. MF me. So when you go home, you don't MF your wife. Mm. You don't MF your children or they don't hear you saying that. Mm. You don't MF your friend, right? So that's how I kind of work through all of that. And the standards I don't think you can put standards on people unless you do what we do. Every year we have our team sit down and they come up with our standards for that year. One of the standards could be be on time. Another standard, we play our way, not the way I want to play. Right. Whatever your standards are. And then we have them sign that sheet. And once you sign it, you've committed to it. So so like I, I often get asked, well, you guys, the good part about your job is that uh, after you play in the papers that night, we know how you did. You won or you lost. So you get to measure yourself every day. And we don't because we got this project that's not due to fruition for another year and a half. Well, how do you motivate yourself? By challenging yourself to live up to your standards each and every day you come to work your personal standards, and only those people can define them. Like, like when I was VP, I had, some, I had the people kind of in their, in their own way write down what are standards for them at work. And I said, I don't need to see them. The only thing I ask is that you just do that. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to do a lot of exercises, but just do that one. Okay, just do that one. You know why? Because you need to teach this to your children too. See, then it becomes mm. not just work. Yep. I can maybe help my son or or daughter. Gosh,
1: that's I no, talk too much. But no, not at all, not at all. I was uh, I was hanging on to every word there. Um, so I, I one of the things I, was, I wanted to ask you was: Have you read Ray Dalio's book Principles?
0: Parts of it. It is so long
1: because that's what oh, you're. Ahead, you, that? Yeah, that's what you're. That's what you're kind of describing, right? Is where if you want to create a high performance culture, there's a set of standards or principles yeah. that is essentially. Uh, col- comes from the culture of the, of the team itself or the individual players within the team. And then they hold everybody else accountable. Um, and, uh, you actually preempted my, my question around dropping players. Like, how do you handle that? And, um, that I, I think the hardest part for me as CEO of, um, digital Kung Fu is, is letting people go. Um, we have, um, because it's personal for me, I, I do really walk in their shoes, um, And, uh, it's, and also I'm very aware of, of, um, you know, uh, the people that work for me, like, like they don't have financial means, you know? Um, and so unfortunately, you know, if you don't meet certain standards, um, then you have to go because it's for the greater good. It's, it's, it's our business, not your business. Um, and so you have to have those hard conversations. And so what you've described, I'm certainly going to re-listen to this and kind of, um, internalize that because, it's the hardest thing for me i'm I'm quite militant around how i i I run my team in terms of how I get the best out of them um I manage a lot of millennials so they they they're quite entitled millennials they feel like everything should be given to them uh for nothing um and um and so anyway, that's my leadership style but it's it for me letting someone business for me is always personal you know I tell them that it's not because it helps soften the blow but actually it is personal in many, many respects um, and um, and dropping players, as you described, uh, whether they're in the wrong position or whether they just haven't, they didn't pitch up at practice early enough or they were late or whatever, you know, these are the things that um, as leaders we have to internalize and then manage appropriately. Um, one of the um, couple of questions here, and then I kind of, there's so much I want to get into here, but um, uh, learning from your peers. Have you heard of the expression that if you, if you spend enough time outside of a, out of, outside of a barbershop, pretty soon you're going to get a haircut <laughs> yeah that's
2: <absolutely.
1: laughs> it so uh, and i and you know i will say this the only reason i would say literally the one of the biggest reasons why i'm successful is because of this podcast literally mm-hmm. like this the conversation like i'm learning all the time just through random conversations with people who know have a different perspective on the truth of what it means to be human and what it means to achieve one's dreams, or, or not, and dealing with the consequences of um, of failure and stuff like that. Um, I wanted to kind of get into the ha- the simple stuff like habits, um, like hanging out with people who know more about the thing that you're trying to achieve like a basketball player might you know listen to all the nba po- podcasts that you've ever been on or if somebody wants to do life hacking or they might listen to all the tim Ferriss podcasts you know um the ones that he produces but then also the ones that he's on and the same might apply to ray Dalio. and so so you're, you're learning about the thing you're closing that knowledge gap as you described um but in in your experience what are some of the little known habits you know not some of the more common things that many people might be aware of or not but um but But how does one, you know, uh, expose oneself to environments where um, habits can either be learned quickly or where or what are some of the things like getting up early, making your own bed, which is what, um, uh, what's his name, Peterson, the kind of, what's his name, I forget his name now. But anyway, I'm digressing. But he's one of his principles is, you know, uh, make your bed. You know, uh, what are some of the little known habits that you've discovered that brings out the best in high performance athletes or just people in general?
0: Well, for me, it's, uh, there's two words and they're both three letters, uh, try, which you have already talked about. Just try some things, right? Just try because a habit becomes a habit by actually starting to try and make that habit, right? Make that a habit. And the the, the other word that's crucial for me is, and I try and live this word every day, is now, N-O-W. When I don't feel like doing something, that word pops into my head, even if it's a commercial. As a matter of fact, uh, I I, I often do this. When it's a commercial, maybe Wendy and I are watching a show we like, and at the commercial break, I might go and dry a couple of the dishes that we had, because then we don't have to do it in the morning. It's now become a habit. I've tried to get my son to do that. You know, because all young people, uh, their definition of a clean house is not does not match ours. Right. So just one little thing. Right. So um, I think what you alluded to was really important. Uh, Evaluate who you hang out with. Who is your circle? Right. Whether it be your your five close. And and we have different circles in our life. Uh, At least I believe I have my fun circle. But they have not gotten me any closer to my dreams than, than when I first met them. But they're so fun to be around if you have a glass of wine with them. And they just say funny stuff. And uh, you actually, your 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 face hurts because you're smiling all night with them, right? Now, depending on to what degree you hang out with them, they may kill your brain cells, right, with all the beer and the wine and all that sort of stuff. But you have to figure out when to leave. So there's the fun circle, Right. And, and then there's what I call the impact circle. Who's gonna challenge you? Like, I think personally, you have to get into rooms that you're scared of. You have to get to, into rooms that you will stretch you. You have to get to rooms where you're gonna be uncomfortable. You have to get into rooms where, at worst, you're the least intelligent person in the room. And for your own sake, at the very best, you're in the middle, right? Because then you're probably going to be a much more a listener than you are a talker because you don't want them to know that you don't know as much as they do. So you keep your mouth shut. And in those rooms, what I only do, they hear my voice. It's only because I'm asking a question. Because there's two types of people in this world. I've been saying this for about 30 years now. Uh, There are know-it-alls and there are learn-it-alls. The ones who get to where they want to go, they're the learn-it-alls. What does that mean? It means that you're, you, you have your learning antennas up all the time. Like just as I see you going to your right and jotting some things down, I'm jotting some of the same things down that you're saying. Like I'm thinking, gosh, he says that so much more succinct than I, I, I believe the same thing, but I don't say it as well. Right. Um, and then I always give, you know, uh, I'll always say, Hey, I, I, I heard this from Matt Brown. I didn't even know this guy before he did the podcast. He lives like real far away but he taught me something today and this is what it was. And I think you guys need to hear this. Boom. And then I'll say whatever it is that, that you taught me today. But, um, and then there's a couple other things that like as a leader, like I'll, I would ask our people, what standards do you have of me? What standards do you want? Like when I was VP, what do you want me to live up to, to for you to have, enjoy your job? And inevitably, one of the things they said is, I just need you to tell me the truth. I need to know, like, you need to be, let us know what's going on in the, in the, in the organization and whatever they listed, I said, okay, I don't want to ask you or tell you what standards I have of you, but can you tell me a couple of standards you have for yourself? A lot of them had never thought of it. So I'll let that dead silence go. And even 20 seconds of silence, you know, is four hours. Mm-hmm. You know, like, God, is this Kevin going to say anything? Nope. Matter of fact, the only thing I'm going to do is put my hand here and my chin here. And I'm just going to kind of look around and let my ears do everything. Eventually, you have to say something. Well, I'm going to bring my best every day. Then I would ask, what does that mean? Because that's pretty good. I would say, like, that's pretty good. Gosh, that's really good. Can you explain that a little further? Because I might be able to put some of what you say into what I do. So right now we're on even footing. And I think that's important as a leader to try and get to neutral. That's why I always had, you know, how there's home games and away games in sports. Yep. I always wanted away meetings. Mm-hmm. I wanted it in an air office so that they had the desk in between the two of us. So mm-hmm. they had the, the power position early. Mm-hmm. Right. That's why I always in my, in my office with the Clippers, I sat here, the desk was here. If you can see this. And then people come in. So I sat here. I always had a chair immediately to my left. And when we had hard meetings, that person sat there, nothing between us, nothing between us. Right. So, um, but it also leads to when you're having these hard conversations and how do you have them, the word accountability comes in. And I was always trying to press and push for them to somehow, I would help coach them to say the word accountability when I was asking them about their standards. Like, how do we do that? Like, like if 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 I was your your son or your daughter, and I was trying to hold you up to a standard, what what would you say to them? And inevitably, they say something like, "Well, I would tell them that I would be accountable to the standard." So, but in order to make people accountable, there's a word that must precede accountability, and that's clarity. Because if it's not fully clear as to what you're holding them accountable for, we always thought this is us now. It was our fault. If someone didn't do something that we thought they should do and we didn't explain that that was part of what we needed done, we always blamed ourselves for that. So um, so those would be some things, you know, uh, my, some of my standards are, are uh, integrity, right? Some of my standards are the word best. I'm going to give you my best every day. That's a standard for me. Uh, And and one of the ones I fall through on, and my wife always reminds me is, she says, when you send emails, would you please like reread them? Because you have misspellings and then immediately I I go to play the victim. Well, spell check did that. Okay, well spell check actually gave you a hint that you weren't even close to spelling this word, right, Kevin? So spell check is telling you, you dumb idiot, respell it, please, right? But I, I write them so fast. And like I press send before I even put the first letter of the email in, right? So that's bad on my part. So that standard when I send emails has to be higher. Hmm. So it's simple little things, right? And standards are really only, they're your checks and balances to give the world your best that day. And if they say, well, I don't know about that. I said, okay, so now every other employee, they're okay. Like when you need the IT department, they can say to you, ah, man, I'm tired. I don't feel like doing it today because it's just my day to not do anything. Would you be pissed? Dang right you'd be pissed, right? So what we last thing, as a leader, we would always tell our team this, guys, I know this is going to sound tough. I hope you understand every decision we make for our organization and our team has to be through the lens of what is best for the organization, what is best for the team, not what is best for you, not what is best for me as the head coach. What's best for this organization? And then at least they knew where we were coming from. And look, as a leader, we can't, everything can't be seashells and balloons every day right? It can't be a birthday party every day. There's going to be some hard times and some tough times. Um, and we just have to have the strength to do what's right for the for the organization. And uh, that's how we handle it. Um,
1: Kevin, I think you may have solved a big thing for me that I've been wrestling with in my uh, in my business, which is how do I get my team to uh, take more accountability for what they do? And um, I I didn't have an answer to that, but if it's about focus and clarity, I'm going to try and investigate more around um, what I'm not doing to help them be, be clear around what they need to do. Because, you know, as CEO, as, ve- CEO, as a leader, you kind of like, yeah, well, attack here, do this, da, 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 It's clear for you. But for them, they actually don't know. Um, and so I'm going to definitely look at that. Um, just a couple more questions. Who is your mentor and what have you learned about mentorship?
0: Well, mentorship, I learned you have to have them, whatever you call it, mentorship, uh, idea provider, uh, uh, challenger, whatever, whatever it is. So, um, it's interesting. I have mentors that I know and I have mentors that I'll never meet. Uh, and I think my separator is the, the latter, uh, Oprah Winfrey, right? I've learned so much just by listening to her YouTubes, listening to some of her shows, listening to her, some of uh, her interviews. So we can learn from people we'll never, ever, ever meet. Right. Um, and that's why through this time that we're going on, because obviously the speaking world uh, has come to a complete halt. Yeah. So I'm just going through YouTubes and podcasts. And that the people can see, you know, I have I have a notebook here and I'm taking notes each and every uh, uh, matter of fact, this particular one was on great teams, this podcast. So mm-hmm. I'm taking notes uh, all the time uh, trying to learn and then I'll reread these notes and I'll, I'll say to myself, OK, now I don't really need. I kind of do that. I'm good with that. So all of a sudden, one page of note might turn into two bullets that are the most important parts that are are applicable to me. Um, And then my mentors personally are people that you guys probably, uh, you wouldn't even know, but uh, a mentor is crucially important if they're important to you. Who cares who else knows of that person? So uh, it's the guy, Doc Rivers, is a mentor of mine and also a good friend. He's the coach of the Los Angeles Clippers now. Uh, a guy by the name of George Raveling, who was, was probably uh, in the basketball portion of Nike the company, uh, the number one person at that company. Um, so it's people like that. Uh, you know, uh, Wendy, uh, my wife uh, is – and I would say this to your people listening – uh, with that word truth I was talking about, two things you got to do, I think. You have to you have to do a truth audit periodically through the year. Just write down on a, just a yellow piece of paper, hey, what am I good at? What do I need to improve, right? And if you're having trouble doing that, then do it in the bathroom and look at the mirror because the mirror has yet to lie to anyone. And if you're not successful, what you find out, it ain't the mirror's fault. It's the reflection of the mirror, right? It's you, right? So have have a truth audit. And then the second thing is to have a truth teller in your life or truth tellers. And these can be your mentors, but it can also be someone who's not a mentor, but knows you so well that knows when you messed up Mm. or knows when that wasn't your best. Right. And Wendy is my wife is one for me. Now, be careful when it's your spouse because sometimes they got no filter. You might be watching like this unbelievable podcast and they're trying to tell you 25,000 truths. And you have to say, no, I don't, I don't need to hear it now. I'll hear it, but not now. Right. But you got to have truth tellers in your life uh, because they're the ones that are going to put the brakes on and say, whoa, 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 whoa. You talk about this word best all the time. You that's That's not your best come on man and with that word best i'll throw this out um there's two bests in this world there's the best which is a daunting task for many people it just stops them in their tracks so there's the best and there's my best that's the one that all of us should be trying to become uh each and every day as often as possible like in our league in the nba everyone thinks it's a league of stars. No, it is an overwhelming, overwhelming preponderance of role players in our league. Like if I asked your listeners, who's the best player in the NBA, they would probably throw out names like LeBron, when Kobe was playing, Kobe. They might throw out Steph Curry. They might throw out Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Well, that's four guys. There's 450 players. So 446 have no shot at being in the discussion to be their best. That's not how you get into the NBA. You get into the NBA by being your best, like my best. And, and that's what we should all strive for. Mm-hmm. And you know what you find out? Like when you, when you and I've been around uh, all those guys I just mentioned, is that they just kept working each and every day to become my best, my best, my best, my best. And there were so many my bests. And betters that they became the best. That's how you become the best by continuing. It's compounding interest, right? Mm-hmm. It's compounding production. Really, you keep a little bit more, a little bit more. So,
1: it's also great. Fun. It's also a great secret to fulfillment and joy. <laughs> Just by the way, stay off Instagram. Um, and a final question for you, uh, Kevin: Why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed in the morning?
0: Well. I think you have to, you have to have kind of a mission for your life. So a mission statement and a become statement, right? What do I want to become? And, and I'll take that one first. I, I just simply want to become the best sharer in the world of all the fortunate experiences and lessons I've had in my life. That's what I want to become. Whether that turns into thought leader or whatever other terms are out there. I don't know. Like when people introduce me as a motivational speaker, I always say, I don't know what that is. Mm. I have no idea what that is, but I do know this. I'm going to challenge every speaker you've ever had at sharing as much as I can in the time I have today. Right. So you have a mission statement um, or a become statement. And then my mission is life in life is just simply to to help as many people as I can get to where they want to go and fulfill the goals that they've set as an adult. Because when you're an adult, you have goals. When you were a kid, you didn't even know what that word was, but you had dreams. So I wanna help fulfill some of the dreams that you had as a kid. For me, I had all the pictures of the really good basketball players tacked to my wall. right? And I I was hoping that I could just keep on getting a little bit better and, and do some of the things that they did, right? So that was my dream. And it kind of it, it drove me uh, each and every day. And, and what's the, the neat thing about dreams is there's only one person who can kill your dream. That's you,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? You're the only one that can kill your dream. And then who wants to go to their grave with their dreams still inside of them? I don't. I certainly don't. So my dream right now is to, to reach as many people as I can to help them get to where they want to go and fulfill the goals they've set as an adult. And the funny little dreams they had as a little kid. And if I can do that, then I've had actually a legacy. I've created my own little legacy. And it doesn't have to be worldwide. Legacies aren't these, they're not always these huge things. As Maya Angelou said to Oprah Winfrey in a a discussion, she said, Oprah, you know, a legacy is formed one conversation, one lesson at a time. Mm -hmm. And that's how you do it. So that's what I hope out of my life.
1: Awesome. Kevin Eastman, thank you. It's been a real privilege and an honor to tell your story and you've been amazing. Thank you so much.
0: No, it's my pleasure. Keep doing what you're doing, Matt.
1: All right, Kev. Thanks, bud. We'll let you know when it's yeah. up. Cheers, cheers. Thanks for listening to the Matt Brown Show, guys. Don't forget you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, Your Inner Game, for free right now today, you can grab that on mathbrownshow.com forward slash ebook. Haiku went from a two percent share of voice globally to an eleven percent share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.